Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to Stable Connections, the podcast. Today's episode is with Michelle Scully, and she talks to us about why being wide-eyed and curious is her favorite thing about herself, her experience with different clinicians over the years, and how breaking her back shaped who she is now. Hope you enjoy. Stable Connections is sponsored by Wild Willing Therapeutics and Training. Wild Willing unites bodywork and herbalism with the transformative art of horsemanship to empower horses and humans to heal and grow. Based in Sonoma County, California, Wild Willing founder Shannon Ray Riley is available for local, mobile, and remote work offering bodywork for horses and humans, horse training, coaching, wild horse gentling, rehabilitation, and horsemanship immersions. Please visit wildwilling.com or Instagram at wild.willing to learn more. Stable Connections is sponsored by InStride Productions, videography and photography with the equestrian in focus. Whether you need marketing content or memories that last a lifetime, InStride Productions will capture your moment. Please visit www.instrideproductions.com. When I was a kid, I was thinking about this this morning as I was feeding. I have five horses, and one of them, as you saw, is old. And he's just a bottomless pit of food and money, and I love him dearly. And that's what you do if you can. My dad had horses when my folks were married and then when I was born. And when I was five, my parents got me my own horse. And I was thinking this morning, the people who got rid of that horse were like, Halla frickin' Luya, because she was old you know, and high maintenance and the kind of thing where you're like, here they just stay and they found someone to take her to on. Take <laughs> her on. And that was my horse Pepper and I I loved her dearly. And then after my dad died when I was not quite nine and I didn't have a horse anymore. So it wasn't until high school that I got a horse again and we lived in the country. So that part was easy. Then when I went to college, my horse did not come with me because it was expensive enough to go to college, let alone bringing your horse with you. So I went to UC Davis, and so they had a big equestrian program. I went there with the intention of becoming a vet, but I had too good of a time, and my grades sucked as an undergrad. (laughs) So that didn't happen, but they had horse programs, and so I rode everything that I could there. And then when college was after, I made friends who they had little kids and they roped and they let me ride their horses and when I got married and moved here to Lake County I live in Lakeport I think my sons or both of them were little and the same friends their names are Kitty and Ernie they retired one of their rope horses and I was like I can do this we live out in the country and we have room and so his name was Lickety Split or Lick <laughs> and they hauled him up here for me and So I started again as an adult, as a mom, with this retired rope horse who'd, you know, been there, done that. And I just got on him and did all the things that I had grown up doing, which is just you do the thing. And then not too far after that, Ernie, my same friend, said to me, because Lick was getting older, he said, Michelle, you should get a (laughs) (laughs) two-year-old. Thank you for laughing. I actually wrote about this in my first book. And then I promptly like scribbled all over him. I was like, what the heck? What the heck am I supposed to do? Because you're just confronted with, I know literally nothing. Yeah. And should I? Are you correct? Like there's not like a yes or a no in that. It's like, maybe you're right. Maybe that is my calling. But really, should I? It was just all, it's like, I was still trying to figure out how to raise kids to be like solid citizens and, and mucking through that. And raising a puppy and trying to be a mom and all these things and now I've got this two-year-old horse whose name was Skeeter. So he found you one and everything? No, he's, he put the bug, the worm in my ear and then um, my folks live in southeastern Oregon and they're farmers. They're retired now but in the Klamath Basin so we had gone to Paisley. It's the world famous mosquito festival. yeah so we we were at the festival and I was like oh by the way dad it's nice that you hooked the trailer up and we're just gonna swing by Lakeview Oregon and look at this two-year-old horse so 
we looked at him and did you know what you were looking for in a heck, hell no other no other than the age i have a thing about roans my first horse was a rona and i don't get a horse because they're a color but he happened to be a what they're they called attracted. a pink roan hmm. and he was in my price range and we stopped loaded him up and i told my husband pat i'm like oh by the way guess what and that that started it and then that I was looking at it like, thanks, Ernie, thanks a lot. Because he's a hand, you know, he's cowboys for a living. He's, he knows what he's doing. And I'm like, I'm used to riding horses that know what they're doing. Is he local to? They live in Zamora. So a couple, it's, it's on Highway 5, just over the hill. I'm gesturing with my thumb, like oh, I'm hitchhiking. Okay. So <laughs> like he can come and help you if needed? or Yeah, but, but I was just like, okay, now what? So it really started a journey for me of okay now what I decided I need to like access some somebody to learn a from a mentor of some sort a mentor somebody who knows like a thousand times more than the nothing I know now every you know everybody's on social media as a horseman easy to find easy to find but at that time it was really like John Lyons was the first person out there you know with programs and getting himself out there and having trainers so I found a woman who was a, quote, certified John Lyons trainer and took my horse and me to her for a while. And then she had horse camps up in um, the Jackson area. Yep. So to get to my parents' house, you have to get to Highway 5, drive through Reading, and you're just driving. Yeah. Like, it's five hours. So it was during the summer, and our family's in farming, so my husband's essentially, like, buried under farming. So I drove my kids up to Oregon, left them with my mom, drove five hours back, loaded up my horse trailer and my horse, and drove four hours to this week-long clinic where I had forgotten like to bring the charger for my phone, and I had borrowed my husband's truck. And like our joke is the last thing he heard from me was, I'll see you in a click. You know, <laughs> so I'm up there with this horse and my saddle from high school because I don't even know enough to know all saddles do not fit all horses there's a lot of people you're not alone in that boat so. yeah that's even a, currently with all the research and all the Googling that's a big thing do. so I went to this week-long women's horse camp and put my saddle on my horse and then he proceeded we went into the arena and then we bucked from one end of the arena to the other the joke is with the friends that I made there that I'm still friends with over 20 some years ago is that and I wrote this in my book that I I love Billy at Bauer, the rodeo rider. And so our joke is that I wrote it like Billy at Bauer. You channeled him. At a diagonal <laughs> with my arm in the air, you know, eight <laughs> seconds. And then, of course, I couldn't ride my horse for the rest of the week because he was sore. So it was, <laughs> it was just kind of a debacle. But I made friends that I'm still friends with. And then they kind of became my horsemanship journey tribe. So that's a encompasses a lot of ground there, Shauna. Yeah. To yeah. how did I get back into horses as an adult? Yeah. And so since then, have you found other mentors yeah. and people to follow? And who are some of those people? Yeah. Shortly after that, I, through my friend Stephanie, met Mark Rashid. And we would do clinics with Mark and then Mark and Chrissy over the years. So as before I broke my back, like in 2010, I think I met them and they've been friends and inspiration and mentor since. And what do you like about what he and she offer? You know, I was thinking this the other day. As you know, I had gone to uh, work in Robin Schiller's Journey on Podcast Summit with my other friend, Stephanie Holden Reed, who you do know and you did interview mm -hmm. in November. And I'd been following him for a while. And people are kind of opening up their eyes to there's more beyond just doing things with horses or have, making a horse do something. Goal-oriented. Yeah, but I was thinking Mark was there presenting, and so was Chrissy, and I thought, Mark's kind of like the OG. You know, he's been, as he says, a mind like still water. He's been doing this for a long time. This is not anything new to Mark. It's like... He's consistent. He's super consistent. He's super positive. And what I've recognized, too, and what I think is people are recognizing in a good mentor is he's living what he's teaching. He's not just someone in the arena and then on the outside aggressive to his horses or to people or rude or any of that. He lives what he preaches. I'm glad you said that because been there, done that, you know, with clinicians in, in you know, not too far from here where people are leaving in the middle of the night or crying. It's super important to me along this journey 
with horses and myself and life that you're congruent, that your integrity is inside and outside. And that's not to say that I haven't screwed up plenty of times, but I'll be my harshest critic on that. But there, to me, there is no way you can actually do or be with horses what I want from it if you're an a-hole somewhere else, or if you can't appreciate that when a person's in the arena or in the round pen, they're part of the equation and don't leave them. I've made friends because I've seen somebody just lost in a round pen and I've thought, don't just leave this person hanging there. They need you. And the yeah. clinician did, you know? And for me, it's like, check. I just, you know, I'm in this phase of my life where I'm like, done, done, done. Yeah. And Mark and Chrissy's integrity has always been congruent. Like, they're they're kind and they're thoughtful and they're not putting you or your horse in any situation that's untenable. Yeah, so. and I think there's not a egoic thing about them. No. Like, yes, they are decently big in their name and what they've accomplished and books and all of that, but they're people when you meet them. They're yeah. not this, like, bravado, like, here I am, you know. Me. They're approachable. Yeah, and, and I think that's key, so I'm really glad you brought that up. Another person that I have a lot of respect for what he's doing is Josh Nickel out of Canada. He calls it relational horsemanship, which is integrating us and all of our stuff um, and our horses' needs and how does how do you work with all of that. Also, Harry Whitney, he's he's like an under the radar guy, but he's he's insane to watch. And people call it the great undoing. Like when it's your turn to ride, you're like, oh, I have three arms and none of them work. And yeah. he's masterful. And a man named Charlie Snell, who Stephanie Holden Reid and I had a clinic with him here a few years back before COVID. And he's, he's just a really kind, he's a little cowboy from Montana, but studied with Ray Hunt and Harry and kind and decent. And he has seen me do some things where he walked alongside, you know, and uh, he'll forever like be a dear friend of mine because of that kindness. Yeah. Yeah. Those kind of negative experiences or hard experiences with clinicians and we don't need to name them, but what were some of those experiences like that kind of turned you off? That's a super interesting question because interestingly enough, when I still had Skeeter and we were talking about colic earlier and he did have a winter colic and I lost him. But I had been at a clinic, I think it was four or five days, and we were all in the arena. Skeeter was agitated. I was uncertain. All the people were all frazzled. And some people did actually leave in the night. And I should have not left in the night, just hooked up in the day and left. Taking care of yourself. And my listen, you know, it's like this is not working. And interestingly enough, we were all going out to dinner, and the clinician hopped in the truck with me. And I was thinking, yeah, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I'm like, no. And they started talking to me about relationships and how expectations were always the same in it and I just turned and I looked and I said you know what I find really interesting is that you are actually saying that like practice what you preach you said that dude I did because I was like you're in my truck it's like give me a break it's like you are probably if there's no room in your life for other people and what they want in a partner it's translating, you know, that's why all these people are flailing around. I didn't say that part, but I was like, you are telling us that we're the common denominator. And I'm like, you might want to look at yourself because I think you are too. You're probably not easy to be in a relationship with. Yeah. yeah. Well, and part of it to me, in my opinion, is a lot of times at clinics, there's so much to absorb that when the clinician is involved in the process after in terms of going out to dinner with everyone and Mm -hmm. all of that, it almost continues the clinic, which isn't always necessarily ideal in my mind. They need to, I think that's great. Some people want that. Some people want to be buddy-buddy with the clinician and want to get dinner and want to hang out by the fire and all of that, which is great and fine and probably a time and place. But for me personally, if even if I audit a clinic, I like to have a few hours or in the evening by myself to process everything that's been going on or with one friend where we just kind of talk about our experience. But 
I think, yeah, and maybe well, it sounds like that clinician wasn't necessarily invited to dinner. They just no, in. no, when they got <laughs> in my truck, I was like, crap. Yeah. <laughs> it's called soaking. Mm-hmm. You know, the same with horses. It's like, I was listening to a podcast with Jane Pike the other day, and I think she was talking with Mark, and it was talking about Mark and Chrissy, like how much you can absorb. And I know that from being an instructor, like I taught biology at our community college, three hour blocks a time and I'm like this is not optimal you know Mm -hmm. so we would do weird stuff and I'm sure I said a thousand embarrassing things you know yeah glucose deficit my brain and just (laughs) is like what dancing and yeah your brain needs time to stop and process and horses need that too I think we really overlook we're like okay next next Mm -hmm. next it's like just if something good happens keep your hands off your horse just sit there with them and you can both be like, that was cool. Yeah, I think it's partially to the training process of young horses. If it's a really smart, talented horse, people are on to the next thing. And yeah. then they're like three, four years old already running barrels or already doing the jump, big jumps or whatever, where like they need to also grow. And they're not <laughs> even physically developed yeah. for like, again, that much time. Yeah. yeah. With your journey with horses, because it is a little bit unconventional, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. You didn't necessarily have, like, a trainer bringing you up or all of that. What do you think you were seeking in the horses? I'm a student of life, and I'm a student of horses. And that's been evident ever since I've been little. And I studied sciences. Um, I went to grad school in sciences. I did research for years. I'm okay with not knowing I'm wide-eyed and like my kids curiosity has stayed and that's probably the thing I think I like best about myself because the world is a wondrous place it's full of crazy crap too but it's a wondrous place like like if you read either of my books like from the time I walked from the house to down here I've had like 50 random bizarre thoughts but my mom encouraged that when I was little and I was probably the only kid who was able to play with formaldehyde and I tell her now I'm like mom that was wrong you know like if something died a lizard I'd stick it in a jar and I'd had this like weird little science thing I'm like you probably shouldn't have let me play with like toxic chemicals but what do you think her intention was with allowing that my mom was awesome in letting me try things like in we were at the creek all the time she was really good about letting me try things but going back to a trainer or a mentor I think as you grow What I like is somebody who can grow with you. That's what's cool about Mark and Chrissy. They have a seeking, growing mind. It's not like, here's the deal. It's formulaic. Do this thing. I'm also not interested in... It's hard for me to even reconcile the word trainer anymore because mentor. I'll go with that. Or teacher. Teacher. Yeah. I like that. Teacher and student. And that they're still a student too. They're learning and they're not locked in cement and they're willing... Like one thing Mark told me that was pivotal for me years ago is, so what if you make a mistake? Like the Hippocratic Oath, do no harm, you know, just don't do any harm. But if you screw up or if you just stand there, cut yourself some grace. And I think a lot of my journey has been cut yourself some grace, cut other people some grace. And the thing I love about horses is they're wide open to being a place of grace if we just stop acting like buttheads you know, and work our own stuff out. I'm not a believer that my horse is my therapist. It's like if I have work to do to be clear-headed, clear-eyed, open-hearted, warm, that's on me. And then I can bring that. My horse can be like, that's good. You know, I appreciate this you more than I appreciated that you. And it's kind of like churches, I guess, where people like call them church hoppers. I would not call myself a trainer, clinician, teacher, hopper. But as I grow so does, what's that Maya Angelou quote? As you know better, do better. Yes, yes, yes. And if you can find a mentor, teacher, who's also growing and expanding, um, then... There's room for so much growth. Stick with it, yeah. you know? But if you're like, this this does not line up for me, and you said that early on. Like, I think we know things, and I think especially as women, you get in this place where you're like, oh, this is, this does not feel right. And we tamp down our gut, And then we end up staying in a situation that later on you're like, I wish I hadn't done that. Well, it's that almost that like 
For instance, if you're at a clinic and it's a four-day clinic and you're on day one or two, you're like, oh, I don't really like how this is going. Yeah. The energy is really high. It's nerve-wracking maybe on day one. And you're like, oh, let me give it one more day. Maybe it's just because it's day one. Day two happens. All the horses are kind of up and Spinning. wild. Yeah. And then some people leave and you're like, well, for one, I paid for the whole clinic. Mm -hmm. Two, is it going to look like I'm giving up? What if I have this come to Jesus moment on day three or four? Like there's all of these like what ifs instead of trusting your qualifiers. I did that sometime last year. I went to audit and I was like, nope. Mm. I mean, like 10 minutes. And you could say, well, that's not enough time. But it's like if you see somebody like kicking a dog, do you need more time to figure out why did you? But why did you kick the dog? Maybe the dog needed kicking. It's like, no. Yeah. Well, and it's hard because with auditing or even being in a clinic, you can also learn what not to do. Yeah. So I've been, I audit quite a few random people. A lot of my friends have clinicians come in or, you know, I'm auditing somebody that I'm going to record with or whatever. And I watch and I'm like, I don't agree with this. The round pen is really small. You're yaw-yawing the horse around. I feel like it might break its leg. Whatever. You know, I have these moments and I'm like, but I'm also learning what not to do. And I'm also learning that there is this way of doing things. And then, you know, maybe I just won't go to this clinician ever again. Or maybe, you know, I still record with people that I don't necessarily appreciate the way they do things because this podcast isn't about what I like right it's what people are offering right and why they offer what they offer and I try not to be judgmental and all of that exactly but in terms of yeah in terms of auditing I feel like there's a lot of ways to learn what not to do well and I think you hit on something Shauna which is judgment there's an awful lot in life and in horses like this is how you do the thing and there's eight billion of us, you know, it's like people are doing the thing like that, that bumper, st- think is best. bumper sticker, imagine world peace. And every time I see that, I'm like, what, really? It's like everyone has their own experiences, they're cultural, they're fam- familial, what shaped us and formed us. And like, why the judgment? Because it's like it says in the Bible, look at the log in your own eye. And for me, my faith is like my true north, my foundation. And I know a lot of people think, oh, if you are a Christian or whatever, your faith is in my face. I try and keep my own side of the street clean. I screw it up all the time. I try and clean it up. I try and shine a light. I try and learn. And when people get really wedded to this is the way we do it with like a judgment thing, I'm like, it's hard enough. Everybody's already trying. It's yeah. hard enough out there. It's like, why? add that on top of it. I think I've really tried to practice curiosity instead of judgment. I think that's a great way to be. And to really recognize, like no one goes into, someone said this recently that I recorded a farrier recently, and he said, no one goes into being a farrier wanting to be a bad farrier, right? Yes, there are farriers out there who not so great and probably Mm -hmm. should get some more education or go to the school or get a new mentor or a different mentor, whatever. But no one goes into being a trainer, a clinician, a teacher, whatever. I hope I suck at this. Yeah, (laughs) saying like, oh, I hope I'm bad at this, but I make a bunch of money. Yes, some people go into it with the intention of money and that sometimes can put some blinders on people. But no one goes into this being like, this clinic, I'm going to be an asshole to everybody. That's just maybe who they are and the tools that they were given as a young kid and so to try to have compassion and understanding that they're doing the best they can but that that's just not what you're looking for and so you move on from it and you don't have to be mean you don't have to be harsh but just to kind of not give your energy to that person if you don't feel like it's in your realm of what you want to learn that's resonating with you I think that that goes back to, as Josh Nichols says, like your inner world, your outer world. Our horses have it too. Our horses are hardwired for how they are. So now you hear more, more about people saying their sympathetic nervous system, their parasympathetic, and you, you know, the fight or flight. And we have the same deal. We don't think of it that way often, but we do. And those things inside of us are the triggers. Like, I could tell you what my triggers are right now. It's like obliviousness. Mm. And I'm like, oh, that's super nice, Michelle. It's like you get annoyed at oblivious people or when someone's being oblivious. But they're oblivious because they don't know better. 
you know, yeah. so that's like a work I have to do in myself, like quit just being, having that flip your switch. Well, um, there's a reason it flips your switch, whether it was a family member that was that way, or maybe you used to be that way and you don't want to be that way. And so it angers For you me, it's because there's 8 billion other people and it's like, you know, open your eyes, like try and let's help each other out here. But then the way I respond to it is not very helpful, you know, because I'm like, stop doing that. But step number one is recognizing that yeah, it's triggering you exactly. and naming it and then diving into why. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm aware, like, and that's, we're not perfect. We never will be. We're hugely fallible. Nature, nurture, everything else, circumstance, you get worn out, your tank is empty. But I think in life and horses, it's like, if we can see that, it's like nobody sets out to like hurt a horse or kick a dog or hurt a child, but people do that all the time. And that's not because the child or the horse or the dog were bad, it's because of what's inside spilling over. So I think I'm much more sympathetic to we're all kind of like walking wounded in some ways. So if we can help each other heal that or help ourselves heal that, then we can be better partners and friends to horses and people and... Yeah, I think the hard part is, is some people don't want the help. So you might be somebody who is open and willing to help, but if you approach someone that doesn't want the help, yeah, to take a deep breath and be like, okay, that's your journey, moving on. You know, and I think that's the part where people get really <clears throat> caught up in like anger at like, no, like you need to do this because you shouldn't kick that dog yeah or whatever instead of being like you know I tried to help I can't I need to let go and move on yeah and I feel that way about my faith too it's it's I'm never going to be like a scriptural scholar but I have all kinds of work to do being a, a decent kind person and it's like and if I can do that well and people are like I feel better spending time with you I don't need to be up in people's faces all the time about do the thing and it's the same with with life too it's like do the thing it's like no be the place be, yeah. and horses love that charlie snell my friend and wise horseman is like horses and he's not the only one horses are looking for a place of peace that's a lifetime's job like can we be a place of peace imagine if we all can find that yeah years ago i went to legacy of legends it was in las vegas what is that it's is it ray hunt or tom dorrance i should never say things without knowing I think it's like a legacy for Tom Dorrance, but put on by his family. And I could be very wrong, but one of the greats, you know. They I'll look it up, and if you're wrong, I'll yeah. cut it and just put <laughs> It's okay. I bet it was not the first time I've been wrong, but honorary kind of an event. And they had a bunch of big names there, and Buck Brannaman was there. And you know how they'll bring in, for a example, a horse. And this horse was super high level. The reason the rider brought the horse was because the horse won all these ribbons, but you could not put the ribbon on the horse's bridle because the horse would go ballistic. Panic. Yep. And they went to try and do that, and the horse jumped out of its skin, and the audience laughed. And I'll never forget Buck Brownman saying, as he can be quite straightforward, he's like, this is not funny at all. This is not funny. This horse is in a state of panic it's not funny you know and then he worked with that horse but I think we see horses like that that exhibit it outwardly but a thing that's concerning for me is there's so many horses who don't exhibit it outwardly and you people love to say bomb proof lots of those horses are just being stoic lots mm -hmm. of them have gone inside lots of them are in pain so developing the eyes to see that on both ends of the spectrum one can be explosive and one can be so far inside of itself that it's just as lost yeah i definitely agree that's kind of how my horse is where he lived a very busy show life growing up for the mm -hmm. first like 10 years of his life and he is very quote unquote stoic he's very quiet people you know see him and he is most of the time pretty comfortable and confident but there are moments where if he has, if there is kind of tension building up in him, he'll be quiet, he'll be quiet, and then he will explode. Whether it's while I'm lunging him, he'll just like take off around me and yaw yaw around, mm -hmm. but he like holds it in so much, so yeah. much until he literally can't. And then he has to be like, blah, you know, and people are like that too. 
So it's interesting yeah. to just really try to pay attention to like the minimal tension that happens and how to help them through it. That big bay horse out here is Junior. He's my husband's horse. He's kind of a been there, done that horse. And when he first came, I noticed his lip bobbles when he starts to get nervous. Mm. And it's obvious if you know what to look for. Look. Yeah. But like with your horse, the other part of that is shit happens. And if you're like, okay, there you go. And you are still centered in that place of peace, you know, and I found that with my kids, it's like, nobody needs to add fuel to a fire. No. It's like, just keep being like, okay, off we go. And that was a big lesson for me with my kids. My kids hardly ever had tantrums. I can still remember the one time my oldest son did. It was like uh, 4th of July when we had just moved here. And it's like, if you live in a town where tourists come, do not go to the grocery store on the 4th of July. And we'd been in there a long time. And, you know, he was getting ready to melt down. And the checkers were like, you need a prize. Because usually at this point, parents are like throwing candy at them. And I was just like, I don't need a prize. I was just so surprised because my kids had never done that, you know. And... I think with horses, it's easy to get like, oh, no, here we go. and Or try to shut them down from yeah. expressing themselves. Yeah. Like I said, with my horse needing to kind of run it out. Yeah. Um, my teacher, mm -hmm. she kind of taught me that in that moment, a lot of times with horses, when they feel that tension, they need to move. Yeah. Right? Whether they're prancing next to us or whatever. And so to allow him to move and to regulate his breathing to get him back to that comfortable place yeah. because as prey animals when they're in a heightened state they do they take off or they like move their legs they yeah. need to do that yeah so see yeah. that's the awesome thing about learning about horses yeah is the more you learn the the more i want to know mm -hmm. and the flip side of that is the more i learn the more i think crap you literally don't know yeah. anything yeah like throw all of it out the window. But I think we did that universally. And this is something I've been thinking about since you and I first started talking about talking. I feel like we're all kind of cruising along, like thinking we know what's what. And then the pandemic happened. And then we're like, holy crap. Like, do we know anything? And then we're is fighting. Is anything safe? Yeah. yeah. We're fighting about this and that and trying to find certainty in an uncertain situation. And... I wanted to ask you this since you studied psychology, and I never have. I feel like we're kind of in a moment like it was like the 14th to the 16th century, the Renaissance, where people were starting to learn about the world around them. And they're like, whoa. And now I feel like we're learning about the world within ourselves. Like I see this in horse circles. Like it's a lot of talk about not horses, but what's going on with you. And sometimes like more than I'm interested in because I already feel like I've been working stuff out. But I feel like we're in like maybe a crisis of identity. Like the pandemic threw everything up in the air. And if you think about where we came from, like just a few generations ago, we're in farming. Just a few generations ago, like one out of three people were in farming. And now it's like less than 2%. So we've gotten away from the earth. And if we, you know, like Aboriginal or Indigenous peoples always had that like you lived on it and with it. And we got in offices and, you know, automatic temperature and lighting. Concrete jungles. Yeah. yeah. And now I feel like we're in this moment where people are like, if you call it back to basics or trying to figure out like, who am I? What matters to me? What's my part in this all? As a person who studied psychology, do you get any sense of that? I feel like it's kind of like the Renaissance, but like, we're like, whoa, like, what do we need to do as people? Yeah, I definitely think there's like this survival mindset in a lot of people where getting back to growing your own food, getting back to living off the land, knowing herbs that are helpful instead of medicines. And yeah. I think part of that is <clears throat> almost like a doomsday prepping mm -hmm. where like there is this part of us that believes that like the grid could get shut down or that... All we the things we take for granted. Yeah. yeah, when all these movies that are yeah. putting it in our head too, that yeah. like like The Last of Us or whatever, where <laughs> like everything is, you know, back to 
not really the way it used to be, but like you have to survive. And yes, maybe zombies are far fetched, but like yeah. militias and different. There was a show a long time ago I used to watch called Revolution. And that was the power grid was off. No trains, no airplanes, no cars because the gas, like just nothing. And, you know, there were little communes of people mm -hmm. and all of that and living off the land and trading and, you know, money wasn't a thing anymore. You had to trade goods, which is, I think, awesome. And I think a part of humanity thinks that that might happen or wants to prep in some way for that. I know my boyfriend and I talk about it a lot and not in a way that's like exciting, but in a way that's like realistic. If this happened, yeah, we actually, he showed me a video of it's an Instagram video. So how real can it really be? I'm not sure. <laughs> that's but, a whole different conversation. Yeah, but it was an interesting thought because it was saying that if the power grid, I don't even know if that's the right word for Let's it, just but if all that. power went out, yeah. That it would take about 90 days for about, like, I think he said 90% of the population to not survive. Wow. Because, like, how many people know how to actually camp for a week, let alone for the rest of your life? I want to put in props here for country boys, country girls. It's like, you you know how you to do stuff. You might be able to do it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, my husband's the guy that you would want to be with even zombie apocalypses or anything that like there is this one percent of me that feels like all of that is it's potentially could happen it's funny you say that because when i was teaching biology i would periodically throw in a question there about if there is a zombie apocalypse what is the best way to ensure that the zombie you know and people i could tell when they got to that part of the test they're like what and yeah. like this is good to know people just, yeah. just look start on, thinking look on wikipedia but i think even inside of that, you know, not everybody has access to nature. Like both my kids are living in L.A. now and they'll tell me, you know, just they have a park. And when they come home now, they have more of an appreciation. But I think nature like fuels our soul, even if it's you think little flowers growing up in cracks of concrete. I mean, I think we've gotten some people because they don't have easy access to it. Or don't realize how much of an effect it takes on them. Yeah. Until, I think, yeah, you're saying more and more with the pandemic, all you could really do is go on a hike or go paddle boarding or go do something outdoors. Well, right out here, like we've lived here, oh, I can't do math. I'm going to say 17 years. Hardly ever saw people hiking. And there's awesome trails. And then during the pandemic, there'd be families out there. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, walking. You know, after I... I broke my back in a riding accident uh, 2011, and I didn't know if I'd be able to ride again or walk again or not. And I always thought walking was lame. It's like, walking's not exercise. Like, it needs to hurt to be exercised. Yoga is lame until I tried it, and then it made me cry because it was so intense and awesome. <laughs> but, like, walking is awesome, and we can all do that. And I think I was listening to a Josh Nickel video the other day, and he was talking about, like, calming your mind and and saying meditation and everyone has their own concept when you say meditation like do you hear a sound bowl or whatever and he said walking and walking for me is super meditative yeah. like I process all kinds of things and think all kinds of things and work things out and yeah, yeah. I feel I know of quite a few people and I've recognized it where when they're having a deep conversation it's much easier to be in movement whether yeah. it's in a car and moving yeah. or walking and yeah. physically getting your blood flowing, it gets your mind to be able to kind of like focus on something else and have this like deep conversation. But yeah, I think movement in general, people are starting to recognize is a necessary thing. Yeah. And like sitting's the new smoking. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I want to talk a little bit more about your breaking your back situation oh, sure. so do you want to talk about that and what happened and how you yeah. kind of gone through that I had been to a clinic with Mark Rashid and it had been an oddly rainy winter and it was a nice January day and so I took my horse wish out and everything was awesome until it wasn't which is trigger stacking anyway I knew that she was not okay. She'd seen something different in the landscape, but I was like, tick-tock, we're on the clock, it's almost dark, and I snuck this ride in, and she's normally not a super forward horse, and she was like, woo, which, first of all, I knew when I lost her thought. Second of all, I knew when she was all, like, jazzy. I was like, ding, ding. Third strike was when the rabbit, we were 
hauling up this hill and the rabbit ran right through her legs and she jumped up and sideways like horses can do and I in my infinite wisdom was like well I don't want to be in the bushes so I'm going to bail off I don't know what I was thinking but I landed on my back and heard this loud pop which I still wasn't smart enough to realize was like danger something bad happened and was anyone around when no happened? of course oh. not I didn't I wasn't wearing a helmet I didn't have my cell phone and then I crawled up this hill I'm full of brains um, and she was waiting there so I took off her tack put her inside I have no idea how I did that crawled into the four-wheeler and drove up to the you house you were in survival mode your body was like I have to do shock, there's no other option shock cocktail yeah there. yeah and it turned out that my L my first lumbar had it's called a burst fracture so it turned out to be a really big deal and I was in ICU for five days before I had surgery and then my husband found this neurosurgeon sharp dresser <laughs> you know just like I've got this and he put me all back together and he said in a year you'll be a hundred percent and I'm a great under overestimator so I was like six months I've got this and it just <laughs> destroyed me it was big it's like being snapped in half and then hooked together with like zip ties was it a lot of pain or mental stuff for you um well think about like the whole middle of your body if it's compromised the pain does not bother me it was just a lot a lot of trauma and well, not being able to be physical because you have to literally let it rest yeah so it was a long longer road back but I have learned since it takes the time it takes but I wanted to ride again and it had been over a year since year I was back in the saddle a year and a half after that with my horse Simba who's on the cover of my book because he's the one who was like ride me and so I did and so since then, it's been different. You know, you kind of lose that balls to the wall fearlessness, bonsai, because that's like my nature. I'm like, jump and then find out how deep it is, which is not good. No. Do you wear a helmet now? I do. I didn't grow up in helmet, you know, like. Helmet culture. I did not. It's really hard. But your injury would have been your injury, whether you were wearing a helmet or not. Well, that's the first thing my mom asked me. And they had bought me a helmet for Christmas, and this was in January. So I'm like, helmet like my Instant Pot is still in the box. <laughs> and then I found like a protective vest to wear. So I wear a vest and a different helmet now. Like I had a checklist. I was like, is my husband and my son's going to support? Can you support me riding again? Because it was not my horse's fault. Everything was clear to me, and I'm lucky. There is no app. anyways things like that just happen but people blame horses oh for sure you know and it was all me and actually when I told my friend Ernie I don't journal but to kind of process it all things would come to me and I'd write it down and then at one point I was like oh this is kind of like makes a story and I ran it by him and he said you know what I appreciate Michelle is I know a lot of women they're in like the roping branding kind of world he goes who get to like middle age and they've had shit happen and you own it all you don't blame anybody I know enough yeah and I guess that's part of like why I shared it and why I take it forward is I'm not the only person in fact I just wrote an article about Rex that I submitted and I hope it gets published because there's lots of people who've had them and how do you deconstruct it how do you go forward I'm not alone in that yeah I think that you're definitely not alone yeah unfortunately (laughs) it's a club now I have friends who have brain and the brain injury club so towards the helmet thing when I was in the hospital I was in the hospital for 12 days and literally a shower never felt so good as the 12th day I got a shower oh because you didn't for that whole no because I I couldn't move for five days and then I had the surgery but there was a young I think she was like 19 in a room with a net over her bed because she had a head injury and she would keep launching herself out of the bed so do you wear a helmet i do once you know that like from two feet your head's like a watermelon and i've got all kinds of friends who are never gonna wear a helmet and i and i'm like please be safe you know that's that try to be non-judgmental you know the the only one it's gonna hurt is themselves that's like similar to not going to the dentist yeah where like you not going to the dentist is only hurting yourself yeah I mean, I guess the helmet thing is a little different because if you die or get a head injury, it hurts your family yeah. too. 
So I or had to the take dentist, not so much. Not so much. You <laughs> might just look grungy, but yeah, or smell grungy. But I had to do that. You know, I had to be like with my husband and my sons. Like, are you okay if I do this again? But here's what I'm gonna do. The changes I'm gonna make yeah. to make it safer. Yeah. Because with horses, there is no guarantee no. that you will be hundred percent safe. But there are ways to try to prevent or set yourself up for success success yeah you and your horse up for yeah success so have you got back on oh that yeah specific horse no she's fat and happy and retired and i was thinking this morning i thought okay there are two horses here one is my husband's current horse the other is his retired horse and then my three horses like the and it, there's no reason i couldn't ride her again but then i i got a new horse satin who's the black quarter horse mare and then a year and a half ago, she was bitten by a rattlesnake. And so we rehabbed for like 72 days. I doctored her leg. 72 flipping days. There was a bite on her leg? Her leg was as big as like a tree. Oh. It was insane. And you didn't know what it was at first, Well, right? I thought she had pigeon fever because she couldn't move. And I have a wonderful vet who's a friend of mine too. And she came out and then she's like, I... And then we found a little like puncture wound. So that was a disaster. So then I wasn't sure. And then she had an injury-mediated ring bone situation. So it was just a big cluster, as you know, with horses. So I'm, and then I got my new horse, True, last year. So that's the story of the horses around here. Yeah. Yeah. And do you have kind of like aspirations with your riding or with your horse journey now? You know, in my mind, I just want to see us moving out happy calm tail. moving out as in trail riding moving out just across the hills um with you oh, yes. uh, moving out tail swinging reins swinging loose and hanging wearing my helmet wearing your helmet <laughs> heels are down looking cool in my helmet and my vest yeah yeah i think that's part of the lack of helmet culture is that it doesn't look as cool as if you're on your horse without a helmet with a baseball cap yeah but truthfully you, I, li I like my brain yeah and i like my brain too that's a rule so sometimes arena riding i won't wear a helmet which no excuse there i probably should you just measure how horse. measure how deep the sand is but yeah you know i've talked about this a lot i go trail riding by myself most of the time and so my rule is i always tell at least one person where i'm going yeah and i tell them when i leave and when i get back and they all know that I have two specific people that I tell, and they know usually I'm around three to four hours with getting there, riding, and getting back. Um, so I always tell somebody, and then yeah, my rule is I wear a helmet if I'm riding. If I'm hiking with him, I don't wear a helmet. But that is my rule yeah. because yeah. it is not worth it. And even a tree branch, like I've literally been trail riding and a tree branch hit me in the head the other day and I was like, God damn. Well, you know. That would have really, it hurt even with the helmet on. Weird crap happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. and sometimes I feel like I have like a sign that's like weird crap happens here. Yeah. So, yeah. You got a magnet. I, yeah, not anymore. We used to say you had like a big whatever written on your back, but no, no more. Yeah. So what's your favorite part about living where you live in Lake County? I came here kicking and screaming, to be honest. And, but this landscape, the oak woodlands, is how I lived when I grew up in Livermore. So it's dear to me. I mean, obviously, none of us like the fire aspect of it, and that can be terrifying. So the same with that. You do what you can do. You manage your landscape. You harden your house. You do all of that stuff. You do what you can, and then you act accordingly you, if you need to. Yeah. Yep. And then be prepared and. I'm a, I would describe myself as a pragmatic optimist. So I love that part. I love what sold me here were the people. I feel like there's an opportunity in a place like this to, I don't know, people, I feel like the word tribe is overused, but community. Like sometimes in cities, people, like you find community in coffee shops. I think that's why coffee shops burgeoned. It's like coffee's always been there. Mm -hmm. But I think pe people needed oh, like bars and stuff. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Like bars during the day. Like people needed a place to be seen. I feel like that's how church is for a lot of people yeah. as well. Every, and nothing wrong with that. But to I be feel seen. Like, yeah. Finding community, finding whether it's horse community or just community in general. Yeah. Well, I think that's how we're wired, you know, yeah. and we are and, pack animals. 
And loneliness is a big thing, you know, and I don't mind being alone. That's different than lonely. And I'm, as you saw, like 800 deer tick up residents in my barn and pooping all over my hay. But there's a pair of ravens that come and talk to me and all the turkeys. And I just feel blessed. Yeah, and I feel like, so I'm actually moving up to Lake County from yes. Sonoma County, um, which is why you and I got yeah, introduced to each yeah. other. And I think up here, what is appealing to me, because I go back and forth with, I love Sonoma County. Yeah. Like there is just, there is the open land and the farm field, but then you're, you know, you have, have access. downtown, yes. you have SF right there yeah. if you really need to, yeah. and plenty of grocery stores and all of that. And so I go back and forth with, I love Sonoma County. I've made so many amazing connections there. And I'm, you know, moving up here because there's a boyfriend that I've met a year ago that's up here. And it's more affordable up here and all of that. But the quietness is something that every time I come up here, even if it takes me 30 minutes to get somewhere and I have to go down this long road or whatever, like the quietness is something that's really appealing to me nowadays, Mm, you know. I love going on hikes or going on to the river or different things like that. And every and a lot of times I go by myself again, as social as I am, I like doing a lot of things by yeah, myself. Me too. The alone, not lonely yeah. situation. And every time I go somewhere now down there, luckily I have a secret river spot that I go to on the on the Russian River, but there's always so many people around. I know. And so up here I, yeah, I just feel like the fact that we haven't seen one person walk by and, you know, Michelle lives bordering this huge park that, and she has 80, 80 acres of your mm-hmm. own too. Like the fact that, that there's a huge park right there and no people have walked by right now. Yes, yeah. there will be people and that's They were fine. all out playing for disc golf yesterday. Yeah, and that's fine too. It's not that I dislike people and I hate people, but there are moments where it's nice to just well, I was just down in LA last weekend visiting Ooh. my sons. Uh, so I grew up in Livermore, and then my my dad's from South from Oregon, and my folks moved back when I went to college. That should ask Freud about that. Just kidding. That's <laughs> like what um, to get back into farming. And when my mom would come down to Livermore, which is now like Greater Bay Area. She would be like, oh, all the traffic. And I would say to her mom, you're like one of those old people now who was like, oh, no, there's four cars. And um, you get it. I get it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I get it. Yeah. I think you mentioned quiet and the same thing back towards calm, peace. Like we're not used to being quiet. There's all kinds of noise all the time, like in our ears. And our attention span now is like legitimately, scientifically less than a goldfish's. You know, everything's like three seconds this. Quiet's hard to find, mm-hmm. inside and outside. Yeah. But we need it. We do need it, and it looks different for each person. Yeah. Right? Some people like the buzzing of the freeway next to their apartment window, and some people, some people the quiet, like the physical quiet outside is terrifying. Which is, you know, those people, a lot of people maybe don't like camping because it's the quiet, they're like, what's creeping around the corner, you know? Yeah. So, but for me, this kind of quiet and literally just sitting there and like looking out or whatever, yeah. like that's so appealing to me. So that's, I'm most excited about that. Well, and that I'm close enough to go yeah. down to Sonoma County whenever exactly. I want to. Exactly. So, yeah. Well, I look forward to that for you. Yeah. And for you probably. Yes. And for me. <laughs> um, so is there anything else within your trajectory that you want to make sure you talk about that we didn't? Well, I never set out to write a book or books and like I studied sciences but I like words and I I like communicating and when I wrote my first book my husband was like okay so like what's your idea of success and I was like that's a really good question because it's a big question it's a big question because you can look around now and you just look on social media and lots of people look like they're just a tremendous success it's like how many followers do you have Who cares what you're showing or selling? And I said, okay, so my idea of success was that sharing my journey helped encourage one person, that you're not alone, that it helped one horse get a better deal, and that it makes my publisher, Tom Motes, a few bucks so he doesn't regret publishing it. And when I get lost in that, I remind myself. It's so simple. Yeah. The simplicity of one comment that says, you, your book changed my life, instead of 
the other comment that says, what the hell is this? Well, as my dad says, when um, all shit wipes out nine attaboys. <laughs> and we do that way too often. Mm -hmm. It's like there's always going to be nine people ready to just bash. Hopefully people will start recognizing that and realize that positive reviews matter more, if not, you know, then yes, negative reviews do need to happen too because we need to know when there's like a dirty restaurant or a, an experience that wasn't great. I, by nature, like I was not a cheerleader, but I, by nature, am an encourager. Mm -hmm. In fact, when I was, my mom was pregnant with me, she told me, she goes, I want to name you Barnabas because Barnabas is a biblical name of an encourager. And I was like, oh, hell no. Yeah, that was, and I was like, a cute name. I was like, no, thank you. Unfortunately, I just turned out to be Michelle. And then my grandparents ended up naming their dog Barney. And I was like, that's what you wanted for me, mom. But the encourager part of it, it's like life is hard. You know, like shine a light, walk alongside. Don't be a... I, I, went through a professional conflict resolution program okay. and it asked us you know what works have influenced you and and people wrote all these things and i was like all these people like i'll give you a gold star you know like lots of words and i just wrote life has been my teacher and my motto is don't be a a slash an and i just left a blank like bring some light don't snuff it out yeah and that's again going back to curiosity rather than judgment i feel like I, going back to the judgment thing, I think a lot of times when someone does come at somebody else with judgment, it's their own shit coming up, and yeah. it's easier to focus on someone else, someone else's business or path not working than diving into your own and being like, oh, actually, I'm not happy because my stuff isn't working. And I, I think I'd like to see for women, and it's a generalization, yeah, but I have a lot of female friends that... There's a culture, there was a culture, maybe not so much now, and I raised men, boys. But, like, be nice, be pleasant. Like, where we could not feel wounded by somebody else's assholery spilling out on you. And that you have enough Take it on. within yourself, which is like, okay. And that's for myself, too, because when people zip in, like, on Amazon and leave me, like, a one star with no comment... My husband would, I'm like, for 24 hours, I'm like, what is that? Like, what? Just tell me why. What is that? And then it's a great example to be like, does that change my life? No. Is my or goal. Or you let it change your life for five seconds. So yeah. Like two minutes or Process one day it. or whatever. Yeah. And then you move on. Because my goal stays the same. Am I still hoping to encourage one person? Am I still hoping one horse gets a better deal by helping us learn more? how to help horses, how to be better people around horses. It's like that has not changed by any external anything. So Yeah, definitely. No, I think it's a good reflective mindset to, you know, it's okay to let yourself get annoyed, get frustrated, get pissy or get sad or whatever. Feel it for however long your processing needs to feel it. Because it's also not good to just not let yourself no. feel things. <clears throat> but to allow yourself, and it almost goes back to like raising a kid. I recognize this with my boyfriend's five-year-old is like when she gets frustrated about something allow her to go process oh so true and then she'll come back she did this yesterday where she went outside she got mad i don't even remember what it was about she won't remember either yeah she went outside and i looked at him and i was like she'll come back and she literally took about two minutes because then she's like what am i supposed to do right now i need entertainment and she walks back in with a frowny face and she just goes i'm sorry Aww. And it was so cute. Now she's kind of in that process of when she says sorry, we say for what? Because she's in that mindset of saying sorry and not knowing. She, it's just words. And so we're trying to teach her, you know, maybe you're sorry because you told your dad that he was lying when he wasn't. You know, things like that. But to feel your feelings and allow yourself to cry or, you know, whale cry or whatever you need to do to get it out or journal or go do yoga or go ride your horse on a trail ride and then come back. And that's having tools in your tool belt, that part. For sure. Then coming back, <clears throat> reflecting and being like, okay, why did that happen? It, yeah. yeah, that is so important. And when processing it so it doesn't stick like Velcro to you forever. And when my sons were growing up, I'm an only child because my dad died when I was young. So my best friend was one of a huge family, but I wasn't around kids that much. So I'm like, okay, here we go. But I hate that t say you're sorry thing. So I was like, we don't do that here. It's like, feel the thing, process the thing, 
but sorry is when I'm sorry is when the most important things we can offer ourselves and someone else so we're not going to denigrate that by having it just be a sorry not sorry mm-hmm. kind of a deal and I'm like and when it's over it's over mm-hmm. um, and if you say sorry for me when you say sorry it means something's going to change on the other end right it says I'm sorry for not cooking you breakfast I'm going to do something different next time. That happened this morning as well. So (laughs) it's things like that where when you say sorry, you understand what you're saying sorry for. And then you have. It means something. It means something and have a different outcome at the Actionable. Yeah. Yeah. And it might take 10 times, but I mean, we're all works in progress. We're trying. Yeah. That's the try. Try. Reward the slightest try in ourselves and in our horses. Yeah. Yeah. And again, with the kid thing, like teaching her about intention, your intention for saying sorry is because you want to make up with your dad, right? You want to say sorry because you don't want him to be mad at you, but that's your intention, but then understanding what the change needs to happen in order for that thing to not happen again and kids are awesome Mm -hmm. it's like one of the things i've said many times is adults are so weird because we think we're the ones who know but i have learned so much more from my kids and my animals than i will ever teach them and i love that you know it's hard because having a five-year-old that's you know not my child and i'm just i just met her a few months ago and kind of processing all of that and her processing me yeah in this relationship there's so much but i love the family dynamics and thinking about why we do what we do and then why she does what she does and really she's so innocent yeah but she's doing what she's learned from mom from dad from grandparents like she's just repeating behaviors and then which we all do which we all do as adults and then we what especially with her she's a sponge so if she says i'm sorry and we just let that go but she doesn't know why or if we teach her the deeper meaning of it that's why i think psychology is so important and the study of it is because diving into why we do what we do and how we can do different and all of that it's so beneficial for the mind well you just answered the question i was going to ask you Oh, yeah. Yeah. So if I had a question to ask you, it's that you studied psychology and how do you see that apply all over the place and you just... I beat you to it. You did. Yeah. No, I think that's why I studied psychology is because I didn't know what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, quote unquote. And so I knew I wanted to go to college. It felt like the right path. Not that it was pushed on me from either of my parents. Neither of my parents went to college. And so I felt like it was something I wanted to do, but I was like, I don't know what I want to do. Psychology is so broad and I like it. And so that's, I mean, I went to a liberal arts school, so technically it was liberal arts and broad. The study of life, really, like how we do it. Our human minds are so complex, but it doesn't have to be like the simplicity of intention, the simplicity of feeling or, you know, all of that. It's so simple. We just make everything so complicated. Yeah. Because I, I really don't know why we make it. Yeah, I was gonna say because. Yeah, I don't tell know. Me. I don't know tell me why. I don't have the answer. Um, so I don't know if we talked about it already with uh, the question that I ask of what you'd like to see evolve or change, and then how can you help with that if you're not already? Horses allow us. I've used this word before because I think it's a beautiful word. This grace-filled space, like. To be in the presence of animals that are, like, they live in their DNA. Like, I had a Catahoula twice. And when you have a working dog. It's a type of dog. Yeah, just in case someone doesn't know what that is. It's the state dog of Louisiana. I'm like, go Louisiana. They have a state dog. They're just cool looking, too. I don't know much about them personality-wise, except that they're a lot of dog. They're, they're like, way smarter than the people. Mm -hmm. But they're instinct-driven. And horses are, like, there it is like their DNA, its biology is destiny. They offer us such a place to be like our best selves. And we still pour so much crap on them. Like you said, saddle fit, like get dentistry, bigger like yeah. bigger leverage. It's on us. You know, and I don't say that in a judgmental way. It's like when that light bulb came on for me and then the the layers of that sense, it's so profound and powerful. And you see how sensitive they are, even if they're huge and how they're just looking for peace. And we all are. So 
I'm all about one horse at a time helping them get a better deal. And you do that by us accessing when you know better, do better. Yeah, and you're doing that by living that. Trying one one tiny little flashlight, one woman in a rural place, one (laughs) one day at a time. Yeah. Yeah. But think if we all did that. Yeah, definitely. And we didn't really talk about if someone was interested in any of your books. I think you have a few of them. So where do they find those? On Amazon. And it's under Michelle R. Scully. Bro- is that the best way to support you within your book? Is there a way to kind of... I, I'm on social media. I have a website, Titanium Cowgirl. I'm on Instagram as Tales of a Titanium Cowgirl. I'm on Facebook as Broken Tales of a Titanium Cowgirl. Um, Linktree and Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, So Broken Tales of a Titanium Cowgirl was my first book. It's also out in audio, which my son Jake produced because he's the tech wizard and he studied electronic music. Is it your voice? Yeah, it's me. What was that process like? It was, okay, so obviously it's not like a New York Times bestseller, so I'm not going to get like Jennifer Lawrence to narrate it for me. And I prefer when the voice is in the author's I had voice. friends who've known me, like the friends I made at my first horse clinic, say that they really appreciated it. I, I had one person come in and say, I was surprised that um, sometimes her voice sounded whiny because her story's not whiny. And I thought, when I read, like, of being in the hospital again, you could tell there's emotion in my voice. Mm-hmm. And sorry, that's life, you know? It should be because as you're as a reader, when a traumatic situation happens like that to the main character, you feel emotional. Yeah. So it was fun and it made me happy that friends said they liked it. And then my second book came out in November and it's called Horsemanship in Life, A True Story and True is a play on words because it's my horse's name is true and is that second book about your breaking your back no because that story's over it's just about life goes on and then, oh, it was wish that had the broken yeah back. Yep. and it's like then what life goes on yeah yeah and since then it was interesting because in my first book i talked about my grandmother had dementia and her being bedridden and holding her hand and what that felt like just what that felt like And now my mom has dementia, and she had just ended up in the hospital. She had broken her hip, and I was like, deja freaking Here we are again. Yeah, so just the journey of life. Yeah, and do you think there are more books in your future? Yeah, actually, I wrote a kid's book called The Land of Numish, but I need to move on that. And then I'm working on a historical fiction that I need to kick myself in the butt about because I'm kind of freaked out about like doing the um, research on the historical part. And Chrissy McDonald is a huge inspiration to me because she's just cranking out fiction books like crazy now. So I'm like, get off your butt, Michelle. So that, yeah. Yeah, well, it's also being kind to yourself in that process of it's going to be ready when it's going to be ready and to thank not you just for that. push it out. Thank you for that. Yeah, cool. Well, thank you for chatting with me. That thank was fun. you. I know it's been, a, we've <laughs> been making it happen. I really enjoyed it. Thank yes. you. Hello again, and thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Stable Connections, the podcast. This is your host, Shauna Burke, and if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, don't forget to tune in every Monday morning for a new episode. Follow us on Facebook and on Instagram. It always helps to leave a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on Facebook. And if you or someone you know wants to sponsor an episode, please visit www.stableconnectionsthepodcast.com. See you next week.